I, I ended up hitting uh, the guardrail. My leg got wrapped up around the um, one of the uprights on the guardrail, and it drug me my the rest of my body down onto another upright, which ultimately kind of folded me and sandwiched me on um, uh, onto that upright. So immediately, I lost all feeling, waist down, and I had never been that viciously tossed around in my entire life. This is Martin Likewise with The Balanced Book, a podcast on mental health in the workplace, chipping away at the stigma of mental illness a little bit at a time. Today we're talking with a special guest, Liam Wagner. He is a young man, 24 years old, from the Binghamton area. He works for Cubid Naturals Manufacturing. He enjoys skiing, target shooting, flagging auto racing, working on cars, motorcycles. He is a Kelly Brush Foundation ambassador, and he has one incredible, inspiring story. Stick with us. Good to have you today. Liam, it's so great to have you on the show today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am uh, 24 years old. My name, <clears throat> excuse me, my name is Liam Wagner, and uh, I was born in Binghamton, New York, uh, raised there uh, over on the west side until I think I was about, uh, well, actually, right up, right up until um, my accident okay. that I had. So did you have a normal upbringing as far as family goes? I've had a pretty normal upbringing. Um, I mean, aside from my uh, uh, parents getting split up, I had a pretty good childhood. Like it, it was. I I didn't really have too awful much drama going on, and even uh, the, the divorce was very, very. They, I mean, they were they were very good at kind of keeping it uh, civil and uh, kind of keeping it away from both my brother and I. Um, I I think maybe the worst thing I had ever. Uh, I uh, uh, heard from that was really just my mom kind of talking uh, uh, about yeah. leaving once my brother had left or went, went off to school and that that really kind of sucked. But before the accident came into your life, what were some of your dreams and goals? Like what were you what were you aspiring to? I had uh, I mean, previously b- before the accident, I mean, what, what I had kind of going on with my life is I was uh, uh, working at a dealership and uh, a car dealership. And my boss was a, a personal trainer at one point too. So he had me kind of uh, working out and getting healthy because at, at that point in my wow. life, I'd been very overweight. So I just got done losing like 75 pounds or something like that. And uh, yeah, it was a huge weight loss and I was <laughs> all cut up. It was, it was, <laughs> it was really cool. But uh, um, Ultimately, I really wanted to uh, have my own dealership, so I was constantly buying and flipping stuff, whether it be a uh, a, a car or a motorcycle or something like that. And uh, I had this was, I think, like my sixth or yeah, sixth or seventh motorcycle that I had bought, and um, I really wanted to kind of get uh, get on the bike and like learn it, because um, every single bike is 
going to be a little a little bit different so my brother just gotten his license i'm like this is sweet this is like one of my passions and i'm finally able to spend some time with him and uh we we went on a, a ride out to uh we were going out to ithaca for a graduation party and he had ended up taking the wrong corner wrong uh exit over onto uh a we go there not not too far maybe like 25 minutes or something like that from Binghamton we we weren't too far away but uh um we took that wrong exit and I was fairly confident that I could uh get us back onto track um I had been down the road a couple times but I really wasn't too awful familiar with it and uh I had started going this the speed of what I thought the road was going to be at which was like 55 and I mean on a motorcycle you're going a little bit faster so like 65 miles an hour and um, I get over the bridge and I had missed the suggested speed sign of 30 miles an hour to slow down. And I mean, I'm just not really paying attention. I'm thinking about whatever or whatever girl I was thinking about at 19 years old. <laughs> and uh, I ended up um, uh, just getting kind of lost in the moment by the time I looked up and realized how fast I was going. And what I was going towards, I was basically going towards like a hairpin turn in a guardrail. So I uh, ended up grabbing hold of the brakes and the back wheel instantly locked up like immediately. Um, So that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to go on this ride was to learn stuff like where the braking point is on uh, on this motorcycle because it was previously a uh, a stunt bike so it was purposely built so that rear wheel could lock up and i just wasn't used to it and ended up just sliding 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 and so here you are 19 years old oh, God, what did yeah. you in that moment in your life what did you see for your life what were you thinking like you, you know you mentioned like i want to start a car dealership um but did you ever consider like how fragile your life was or, you know, when you're 19, you don't think about this stuff. You know, you just, you're just, you're just living. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, as far as my, uh, like you said, I, I had a great group of friends, a great support system. Um, and my family, uh, well, at least my mother grew up around, uh, this town so it's like we knew everyone and i had tons of family friends and one of those family friends uh owned a car dealership and i would see this guy come over in new cars every single time we would have a get together so i'm like god that's the coolest job ever i need to do that so that's kind of what inspired me i mean that's that's what my driving focus was like really um throughout a lot of i mean middle school uh in and in, into high school i kind of tried morphing my way into the car business which i i ended up doing so and uh, got a job just just i mean for a gopher and washing cars that kind of stuff that's where i started uh, at, at this dealership and kind of graduated into selling cars um as far as like me and my friends go we were constantly i mean racing dirt bikes and uh it just i think a month before that uh uh or no, probably like three months before that accident. It was still a little chilly. Three months before that accident, I had uh, uh, done my first motocross race. So that was like a, a huge thing that I ended up doing, something I've always wanted to do. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I absolutely painted that picture of um, the invincible 19 years old. At the time of your accident, what was going through your mind? What were you thinking? You know, at, at 19 years old, like, you know, if I was you, 
I'd probably be thinking about the bike. That is the only thing that mattered to me. The only thing. Like, I just, like, I'm like, God, I, I can't crash this thing. I can't. But, I mean, ultimately, I knew I had to put it down um, because, so basically where the, uh, I had two options. I could lean the bike over dramatically, which I just wasn't ready to do, into oncoming traffic, basically is what would have happened. Um, or, I mean, if I jumped off the bike, I, I, I had the risk of going over the guardrail, which kind of would have been even worse because, I mean, it was a straight cliff on the other side of that guardrail. I, I, I do not think I would be here talking to you today if I went over the other side of that thing. So I just felt the best thing to do is uh, uh, grab on to my brakes as, as hard as I could and just really hope for the best, hope I just kind of uh, skip off the thing and um, live, to, live to see another day. And, I mean, uh, uh, that, that changed real quickly um, about – 30 seconds after the accident, I'd say, or 30 seconds after the impact. So I, I ended up hitting uh, the guardrail. My leg got wrapped up around the um, one of the uprights on the guardrail, and it drug me, my the rest of my body, down onto another upright, which ultimately kind of folded me and sandwiched me um, uh, onto that upright. So immediately I lost all feeling waist down and I had never been that viciously tossed around in my entire life. Obviously I, the, the average person would never have felt that. So, um, I start kind of feeling for my legs and I think to myself, I'm like, Oh my God, my brother just watched his brother. Cause he was right following just behind me. It's like, I'm like my brother just watched his brother get split in half. Cause I couldn't feel my legs. I'm like, where are my legs? Where are my legs? I can't feel them. And then I look into the middle of the road and I see my boots are in the middle of the road, which I had tied very tightly. And, um, that was, that was, I think one of the most shocking moments. And I think that's kind of why I was just thinking, okay, my body is completely split in half right now. And I mean, it took until I could get my helmet off. So did you go unconscious or hit your head at all during the accident? Yes. No, my, my head, my head didn't hit anything whatsoever. I mean, it was all my body that took up the impact. And, uh, I, I mean, I was conscious through the whole entire thing. The only time, yeah, well, I'll, I lost consciousness later, but we can get this to that. Is, man, this is, this is so intense. You're 19 years old. I mean, your world changes in a moment. Um, so how long did it take for the ambulance to get there? Mm-hmm. Oh, it felt like seconds. And I I really mean, I think everything was happening so quickly. And it was, I, I just had no clue what was going on. And my, my brain was just trying to make sense of what just happened. And it was um, until I actually, at, at this point, I had, uh, I pulled myself out from under the guardrail with my arms. I just kind of uh, pulled out and then I was laying on the road my shirt is all mangled torn off basically and my arm is just like pressed up against the asphalt so once I once I had moved onto the asphalt that's when it started feeling like it took forever but I think that ambulance it took like five minutes um it was really fast all things considered they got right down there 
um, I was lucky enough to have, so not only was my brother riding behind me, but these, this couple, two of them were riding by as well. And they, my brother jumped off to see if I was okay. And then yelled to them who pulled off to the side and said, call an ambulance, call an ambulance. And they're the ones who actually called. Then as they're calling a nurse, um, that was driving by on the other side of the road pulls over and she has like surgical scissors. She's ready. She's like cutting my socks off my, my pants off to make sure to assess damages. And uh, I mean, it was just, you could what do you not remember, a do you remember your brother talking to you during that time. The calmest I've ever seen him. It was so my, my brother's a Binghamton police officer and he had just kind of, uh, I think gotten into there. He just got out of the Academy. Um, so he had I'd probably been on the force about a year. And uh, that's when, I mean, I really realized, I mean, his training just must've kicked right in immediately. And he was just super cool. Didn't panic. He was just, I mean, going at an abrupt pace, but he was just super cool. Making sure I was all right. Making sure everything was cool. Calling uh, my parents, um, just waiting for the ambulance, talking to the ambulance guy, letting him know what happened. What happened when the ambulance showed up? Tell me about the ambulance ride. So the ambulance ride, I mean, what I, what I, and I always felt so bad about it, which is uh, the ambulance guy came over to me and brought the stretcher. And I thought they were just going to scoop me up on to the stretcher and then just throw me in the ambulance but they can't do it that way they have to strap you down they have to put your shoulders down and all that and i thought uh, once again at 19 years old you know everything um but um i i I thought that uh you weren't supposed to move your back so i started yelling at the guy i'm like what are you doing you're moving me i just broke my back and uh i was like yelling at him thinking that i knew what i was what was going on and he's like no trust me this is what i have to do i have to do it this way so ultimately he's like pushing down on my back it's just the worst feeling ever and i can feel pops and things moving around and it was excruciating for him to throw my shoulders onto the uh stretcher and once i got into the ambulance all i remember is it being so hot and they're like the ac is on full man i don't know what to tell you and i'm just kept complaining i'm drenched in sweat every i'm just sweating profusely and i'm just like i you have to turn the ac on this is uh, I, I, I just, I can't breathe. I can't do it. And so what they kind of found uh, once they were taking my respirations is I had a, uh, a collapsed lung. So that answers the whole not being able to breathe question. And then, uh, uh, I mean, my body was just going into shock, which is why it was so hot. And uh, the, once the ambulance got going, they called a helicopter, um, which luckily I was right next to Lockheed. And, uh, like right next to Lockheed, it took two seconds to get over there. And the helicopter landed um, probably 500 yards from where we were. And then um, from the ambulance, they kind of put me onto uh, uh, another platform, then started wheeling me over to this uh, helicopter. And I remember them putting a piece of like an insulation blanket over top of me. And it just looked like, a body bag to me so I started kind of freaking out and I thought that they were putting me in a body bag I thought that I was dead um and it was just I my brain was just really trying to comprehend what had happened 
When did you actually lose consciousness? So when I lost consciousness, it was, I want to say about two minutes into the helicopter ride. Once we uh, were, were, once that helicopter actually took off, I just remember talking to him and, uh, uh, or talking to the guy and I'm just like, I, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? And I, uh, he was just very reassuring. Um, and so wasn't the guy in the ambulance too. I mean, the guy in the ambulance held my foot together and held my hand as I was like uh, asking if I'm going to die this whole entire time. And he was just, again, everyone was super cool. It's amazing what these professionals are able to, they're able to keep their composure with, uh, a 19 year old kid screaming at him, am I going to die? Like it's, it was a, looking back at it, it is unbelievable how cool they kept it. But yeah, I mean, I, I ended up losing consciousness about two minutes into the helicopter ride and we finally landed. I remember, uh, being awake for, um, uh, basically the time when they had taken me from the helicopter into uh, the elevator. And then I just remember going in and out of consciousness in the elevator in and out. And then every time I would, my consciousness would come back, I would be like in an x-ray and uh, and they were always doing something to try to figure out what was going on. But every single time I would wake up, I would just scream and ask for like pain medication or something. And uh, then I would black out again. And then, the last time I really, really remember um, vividly was my mom walking through the door and me immediately breaking down and just saying how sorry I was. And just I went into this whole entire thing. And she once again, I, mean, I don't know how people kept it so cool. She was didn't shed a tear. Nothing. My mom said she didn't cry for like four or five days. Um, when somebody engages themselves in severe trauma or they're around the person of trauma you're you're actually biologically designed to survive trauma so emotionally what your brain does is your brain will actually shut Mm -hmm. off these emotional centers and and sometimes it will just completely flatten a person's emotions so that they can survive the trauma or the person who's involved in is able to uh, survive as well and then at some point different stages open up where people are able to start expressing emotion. And it really sounds like the people in your life, you know, just so unexpected, so random, seemingly random. Um, You know, it sounded like you blamed yourself when you were talking to your mom there. Oh, I did. I 100% did. I mean, and so the real reason why is because that morning um, I had stopped over there to pick up my backpack or something like that. And um, she asked me, she's like, where are you? you're not riding that motorcycle all the way out there. Are you? I'm like, yeah, Eric and I are going to ride. What do you mean? It's beautiful out. And she goes, be careful. And I'm just like, of course. And then I ran out the door and I was on my way. Um I mean, she knew I liked to, even though I wasn't riding fast at this time, she knew I did like to ride fast. Um, and you don't have to be riding fast on a motorcycle for uh, bad things to happen. I mean, I want to say probably half of the motorcycle accidents happened because a car driver had didn't see them. Like so much coming at you so fast, so quickly. Um, at what point... Now I, did you go unconscious for a period of days or were you conscious the entire time? Did you level out at some point? 
it it felt like I was going in out of consciousness um quite a bit. Uh, I I think it took them like a day or two until they were able to actually do the surgery. So was there a moment when you woke up? I mean, you know, it just sounds like you're in and out of consciousness here and there. And but do you, do you recall a moment when you kind of you were like, okay, now I'm fully consciously aware? Well, I, when I woke. I, what I, what I would say when last time I remember just being awake and really understanding the scope of what just happened was when people started visiting me and it wasn't just a couple people. It, it felt like the whole town, they had to yell at us basically to say, Hey, listen, you need to put something out there that says no one is allowed to come anymore because your son's back is broken. We're trying to do stuff and we have a line out the door. Um, we can't like it, it People, everyone thought I was going to die, and it was very uh, apparent that uh, everyone kind of knew that I was somewhat conscious or whatever, and they just wanted to be a part of it, which was, I mean, really cool. So cool cool in some aspect. It's, it really just kind of showed me exactly how much my community loved me. With everything going on, you know, it just took you time for you to kind of come out of that whole experience you you know you're you're kind of in and out of consciousness do you remember who was the first person to tell you that you were paralyzed so you had no Me. doubt you didn't need a doctor <laughs> I, or I your mom you didn't need anyone to tell you um, I'm, you knew without a shadow of a doubt that no. this was very serious Yeah, with with I mean, immediately uh, as soon as it, it's it's a it's a feeling I can't describe. It's like you you might not think, oh, I can feel my legs right now. I mean, of course you don't. That's that's it's just normal. But the minute you stop feeling your legs, you know that something is going on, um, and it it feels like electricity is running through your whole body. So it's like you kind of can feel your. Uh, uh, late slightly but it's basically just your brain trying to send signals through those nerves that are no longer working and it's going sending signals back up there going, hey, something's wrong something's not right um but like a sensation that kind of feel is it's nothing and it's so apparent when it happens so i i and i definitely knew too because when i pulled myself out from under the guardrail i again i i just was always feeling something in my back moving around and it was excruciating. So I, again, I just had with no doubt in my mind that I was paralyzed probably. And what um, was the actual I'd medical minute, diagnosis? Did they tell it. you like which, which vertebrae did you break your vertebrae? Was it in your entire back or? Yeah. Uh, so what my injury was, was a, uh, it was a lumbar injury. So uh, the L4 vertebrae, they said they, basically we're just pulling pieces of it right out and uh so so right in that region they call it the horse's tail so it's where your spinal cord kind of starts to fan out and become individual nerves and go throughout your body um so it's basically a bunch of different things were strangely affected so like my left the left side of my leg 
is very, very strong. My right, my right side is, is strong, but not nearly as strong as my left side is. So it's just kind of affected some nerves and uh, uh, didn't affect others. So it's called an incomplete injury. Um, so it would be an L4 incomplete is I think what the uh, official or I'm sorry, at the time it was L3 because there was a lot more nerves that were affected because of how much inflammation was in my back at that point. I mean, it just started pressing up against everything. So the L3 was definitely affected until ultimately that swelling went down and then the nerves were able to start functioning. So did you uh, feel when you were in the hospital and you're, you're, you know, that, that third or fourth day in, did you begin to feel uh, the effects of depression? Did you begin to feel a mental weight coming on or was it still like just so much to take in that you couldn't really process it? At what point, I guess at what point did you begin to realize that this is taking a physical toll, but not just a physical toll? a mental toll as well. When did that occur? So I want to say everything was so unbelievably um, positive and everyone was, I think just coming together to make sure that I felt uh, just, just felt okay. So I wouldn't get kind of down on myself and all that. And I, I think, you know what, Marty? I know exactly what it was. So we're, we're going to have to kind of uh, fast forward a little bit. So this was once I started getting up into like a wheelchair and stuff like that, they would use like a Hoyer lift, which is basically just this sling to kind of bring me over to a wheelchair. And then they wanted to send me down to uh, Kennedy Krieger. We had to find the best physical therapy place that was possible for me to be at. And that was a pediatric unit called Kennedy Krieger. And it was affiliated with Johns Hopkins. So the ambulance ride down there, I mean, I, I was just extremely optimistic throughout. I mean, the first two weeks of this whole thing, I'm just like thinking to myself, I'm like, there'd only been one. And it was a nurse that told me that I probably wouldn't walk again which my mom kind of freaked out and William, tell me about that experience. I need to hear that. Your mom. So what did, Um, so, so what was the nurse trying? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Was she (laughs) trying to bring some reality or was she not being negative or what was, what was she trying to do? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't. No, no, no. It was, wasn't anything negative. I, I think I had probably asked a question. And it involved walking and she's like, well, you're probably never going to walk again. Something she was probably being very sweet. But my mom at that time just did not want me to hear those words at all. And she's she just went into mama bear mode and she talked. She was like, talked to the head nurses like that nurse is not to be in that boy's room ever again. Um, So she she basically just said, don't pay attention to her. She's just a nurse. She's not a doctor. She's she can't give you a prognosis like that. So which kind of made sense. And um, I. Yeah, I just remember after that, mom, mom is very, very, very protective at this point. Uh, so. When I get. We, we, OK, so we we figure out that the best possible place for me to be at is uh, Kennedy Krieger and affiliated with Johns Hopkins there. So we get in the ambulance to take me all the way down there. And um, when I get there, I 
remember seeing the room. I, I, I was going to be there for two months, 60 days. And I uh, remember seeing the room that they brought me to. And it was a pretty small room that three of us had to be in. So three other patients had to be in this room and it was crammed. And I just remember thinking there's no way I'm going to last five and a half hours here away from home in Baltimore with the pain that I'm in right now. And they had messed up my uh, pain prescription beforehand. So I wasn't getting the right amount of uh, uh, pain medicine and I was just in horrible pain. So I just remember kind of thinking to myself there, I'm just like, this is, this can't be how the, how the next 60 days is going to be. And I just got, I, I would just cry every single night. Um, well, I, I say every single night, things really kind of get kicked up a notch in the uh, next three days that I'm there. Um, so we're just, we're still doing uh, basically the Hoyer left transferring me into the wheelchair at this point. So I'm, uh, just getting used to like the new nurses, the new schedule um, that I would be having for the rest of the, my stay there. So I uh, was going down to physical therapy, I think like two times a day in occupational therapy as well. And on the third day that I was there, it was a Wednesday and um, they picked me up in the Hoyer lift after I was uh, done with my physical therapy session and they wanted to put me into a chair that could recline a little bit and uh, also lift my leg up. I kind of actually left out a huge piece. My foot was essentially torn off in this accident. Um, that was a big thing. I ended up looking down and then just not looking at it again because I just couldn't deal with it. Um, I kind of forget to tell that part of the story, but, uh, yeah, it, my, my foot was basically torn off and it needed to have a, a bit of a lift, um, because of all the scar tissue that had happened. Uh, it wouldn't allow my leg to bend very well, but anyway, so they get me into this wheelchair, um, that reclines a little bit and they put me into it and all the weight goes onto the wheelchair and then the back of it, I just hear snap and I fly backwards and my leg kicks to the side and I feel a jolt of electricity it felt like from the base of my uh like brain like my brain stem all the way down shooting down to my heel on my left leg and all the way back up and it just instantly went to me screaming like it was it was horrific I had it was like breaking my back again is what it felt like. It was horrible. And I couldn't stop screaming, couldn't stop screaming. I was in a pediatric unit. So it's like, there's kids around and stuff like that. And I'm usually, when I see that kind of stuff, I don't want to scare any kid, but there was nothing I could do. I was just in so much pain and they ended up lifting me back up, getting me into the bed and then wheeling me out. And for two more days, they had tried getting me to do physical therapy after that. And every time I'd lift my head up, that shooting pain would happen again. And I would just get nauseous. And it finally got to the point where we called my cousin, who's a nurse. And she's like, that sounds like a spinal uh, a fluid leak. And she's like, that's all of the symptoms that he has is that he's he has a spinal fluid leak. And uh, we asked about it. And they're like, you know what? 
she's kind of right that, that she you do have those symptoms. So let's throw you in an MRI and they, they threw me in an MRI in my the dura, which is the basically skin, the membrane that is around your uh, spinal cord that tore open. And what's inside of that is spinal fluid. Now, this, this spinal fluid travels all the way up to your uh, the inside of your skull where your brain is afloat by this stuff. So when you have a huge leak coming out, your brain, from what I understand, kind of sinks and then it causes uh, just severe pain of uh, your brain not being able to be afloat. That's where these headaches come from. And uh, then obviously the nauseousness is uh, all a result of that kind of stuff. So I could only lay flat on my back. And this is right when I want to say my real depression started. I got, they transferred me over to Johns Hopkins and uh, a couple days have gone by. And then the neurosurgeon comes up and talks to me, sits down. She's young. She's like maybe 37, 38 and uh, maybe even less. I mean, she, she was, she was pretty young. She must've been just out of school and uh, she looks at me and starts explaining what had happened. Um, and I asked him like, so what do we do about this? She's like, well, we're going to have to do surgery to patch it. And, uh, it's really bad. It's a really, really bad tear. And I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to try. And I'm like, well, that's not what I want to hear right now. I want to hear that everything's going to be okay. And I said, what happens if you can't? And she goes, basically, the next step. At first, she's like, I don't want to talk about that. I'm like, no, we're going to talk about that right now. I said, you don't seem too sure about what's going on. So I need to know what the next step is right now. And she goes, well, basically, what we have to do is place a tube that runs from the base of your spinal cord and circulates fluid all the way up to your brain. And I heard her say that, and I just, I got choked up. I stopped talking and Martin, I don't think I talked for a week. Wow. I could not talk and I couldn't eat. And it, that right there was the moment that I just felt broken and I felt so broken because it's, it's like, I, I didn't want to do this. And I would constantly, the, the amount of times that I told my mom, she's like, I want to give up. I don't want to do this. This is, this is too much. This is not worth the fight. I don't want to do this. This is no life that I want to live. I don't want to do this. And, um, she was just constantly always very reassuring. And it, it, it sucked to me, um, because I would just think to myself, I'm like, she would get mad at me for even talking about, uh, like suicidal thoughts and that kind of stuff. She's just like, don't think about that. Don't we'll talk to your, talk to the therapist that comes around and uh, we'll, we'll deal with it there. Um, but I don't want you to think like that. And ultimately I told her, I'm like, mom, I, even if I wanted to kill myself right now, I couldn't. Hey folks, you just finished listening to part one of Guardrails, episode three from the Balanced Book. I hope you'll stick with us for more of Liam's incredible story coming this week. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.